0: enjoyed the psychology of people, not just sales, but but psychology in general to understand yourself and understand what's going on with others. Because very often with any kind of sales process, tools, techniques, concepts, whatever you want to call them, there's, there's almost a sense of just do this and it'll be fine. And I've never been one to subscribe to that. I've always struggled with the idea of just do it. And it'll be fine i have always needed to know why what's really going on i need to understand it not just that and there's another reason for understanding it is that if you just tell me what to do in this given situation i could do that i can replicate what you're doing and do it in a similar situation but change the context and you can easily get lost unless you know why we're doing what we're doing so this particular session is designed to do that and Just puts the whole Sander program into a very different context. And so, very simply put, transactional analysis, or it's often called TA, TA for short, a new introduction to transactional analysis, is a transaction is very simply is a unit of communication between two people. Um, So, if I look at these two individuals here, they're just chatting away. They're transacting. One person might say to the other, "How is your day?" And there's a response comes back that says, "Fine, how is yours?" So in that sense, a transaction has two parts. It has a stimulus and it has a response. And they're typically verbal, but they don't have to be. So there's a nonverbal transaction, right? Uh, so um, transactions are just a way of communicating, and communication can be verbal or nonverbal. And as I said, it has two parts. That's important. If you think about this, that all sales is, is a series of transactions in any, because it's a series of conversations. And in those conversations, there's always a stimulus, a response. And based off that, there may be a, in the terms of that response becomes the stimulus. And then there's a response and there's this ebb and flow back and forth in the conversation. So just think about every sales conversation as a series of transactions. That's relatively straightforward. Now, this is the interesting bit. When we get into, within transaction analysis, we're gonna talk about ego states. And ego state is, and it's a system of um, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, which uh, are expressed when we interact with one another have a conversation. In other words, when we're conversing with one another, those conversations are governed by a system, a mental system of feelings, thoughts, and behavior. And what we call that mental model of specific feelings, thoughts, and behavior, we call those ego states. There's different ego states, which I'm going to get into and explain in a moment. But just does everybody have at least a, a grasp on what an ego state is it's just a an organized way of how a system of how we think feel behave in any given moment that's all it is it's just, just a way of describing that it's a it's just a, a label a language we're going to use to describe that so we have in ego states we have three types that we're going to talk about okay we're going to talk about the parent ego state Now, does anybody, is this familiar to anybody when I say a parent, adult? Yeah, we touched on some of this briefly with you. I might have just touched on it ever so briefly. You're right, you're right. Um, Now we're gonna get into it a little bit deeper and and look at how it plays out and in understanding it, how we can adjust to different circumstances. And it also explains where pain, where upfront contracts fit into these overall series of transactions. So let's talk about, first of all, the parent ego state. The parent ego state is, is is comprises of the messages we received as a young child from typically parents, but could be grandparents, older authority figures, teachers, anybody in a parental or in locus parentis uh, role and we would have absorbed, and a lot of them were do's and don'ts, rules to live by uh, be nice to your friends, respect your elders, speak when spoken to. Um, how about this one? Don't talk to strangers, don't talk to strangers, yeah. Um, big boys, don't cry, don't cry. Yeah, and now it, it, it's interesting because what's happening is there's a, like this it's like a tape. A recording that when I pressed the start button, but I said, big boys don't, you finished it off and you didn't have to think about it. And that's interesting. So it's like a, a program that's running in our mind that has been put there, installed when we were a young child by older authority figures. And that's why it's called a parent ego state. So it's those thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that we absorbed from our parents as a child are now giving themselves expression. So for example, if I go back to little Sally falling off the couch and I went, or my son as it was at the time, good enough for you. Whose voice really was that when I say good enough? Exactly, exactly. And it was like, so the stimulus was my son falling off the couch and the response was, and it was just like that big boys, it was the tape playing and it's giving expression. You've probably heard people say, oh, I sound more like my father. I sound more like my mother every day as you get older. And all that is is that those parental messages inside our, our, our mind are playing out. And of course, as we become parents, then they become more, more prevalent as well. And so that's, that's what we call a parent ego state. Now, a parent ego state has two categories these are broad classifications there is a one is called a critical parent also sometimes called a controlling parent it's the parent telling you what to do what you can and can't do uh, be nice uh, don't talk with your mouth full take your feet down don't be laid it's all kind of do's and don'ts shoulds and shouldn'ts musts must not walk don't walk talk don't talk right it's it's it's, it's control that's why it's also called controlling parent which is one of the roles a parent has to provide to a young child to protect them and give them rules to live their life by. Makes sense. But of course, not all the parental messages were critical in nature. If you hurt your knee or you, I remember once coming in as a school as a little kid and um, it was a, I don't know, second year in a row we were in the hurling final. Uh, of course it was hurling. We didn't play anything else until Kenny but we had lost it. And I remember just coming in and I had the, you know, my gear and I threw it in the corner my mother said, well, how did you do? And I went, you know, I was really upset. We lost again. I couldn't believe it. And so I was upset. So she comes over and puts her arms around me and says, look, don't worry about it. I'm really proud of you. I'm sure you did a great job. Look, your turn will come. And the whole tone of that conversation is nurturing, supportive, caring, and that's why it's called nurturing parent. That's the, so we have critical parent, which is more of the do, don't do, should, shouldn't do. And then the nurturing parent is much softer and understanding and compassionate and empathetic. It was quite interesting actually, because my father came into that scene when I'm all upset and my mother's consoling me. And he says, what, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? <laughs> I said, we lost. And he said, well, maybe if you practiced a bit more. God. Anyhow, so... <laughs> he, undid, he undid the work, dear man. I know, I know, I know. But, uh, and, 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 by the way, th- there is that, sometimes when I say that I'm conscious that I'm portraying nurturing parent and critical parent in a gendered way, they're not necessarily, my mother, by the way, believe me, could be critical. Um, so, it's it's not that, it's just we sometimes, well, we do, we we assume that the, the female tends to be more nurturing, which is why we they tend to go into more careers that are nurturing in nature. Uh, But it's not, it's from an ego state perspective, it's not a gender thing. All right. So that's, that's the, 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 the the parent. And we'll, we'll talk in a few moments about where these fit into sales and why they're so important to understand them. Uh, But we'll move it on next and look at the next ego state, which is called the child ego state. Now I said parent, adult child, but I'm going to go parent. And I'm going to jump to child ego state next. So, Here's little Sally and Sally's out and she's in this field and it's a beautiful day and she's going to now gather some flowers and bring them home to her mother. How is Sally feeling in this moment? What word would you use to describe Sally's feelings? Happy. Happy. She's happy, happy joyous, full of the joys of spring, literally. And so that's one of the child ego states. There's actually three substates in the child that we're going to talk about. And so the first one, is we said here, is is little Sally is happy. Now, she sees out of the corner of her eye, she sees that big, bad dog coming. How is Sally feeling right now? Scared. Scared, Scared, absolutely. So we said we had the parent ego state uh, that was critical, or also called controlling sometimes, and we had the nurturing. And then we had the child ego state. What Sally was experiencing out picking flowers, uh, having fun is called the natural child, natural child ego state. She's just naturally expressing how she feels in the moment. And it's that childlike state. By the way, so joy, happiness is one form of natural child. The other one is fear. If you think about it, what are the two key buying motives? Remember we talked about in, in pain, we said, with there's four buying emotions. We said fear or a pain in the present, pain in the future, gain in the present, gain in the future. Well, what does gain bring you? Pleasure. Pleasure. Joy. Exactly. Joy. Right. So you can see straight away that the the, the, the buying emotion that draws us to something is joy, which is a, chi- a natural child ego state. It's that part of it that goes, I want, I want, I want this. But also, we said, not just equally, but actually more compelling in terms of emotive, is fear, worry, doubt, concern. These are also natural child ego states. So, one of the challenges we want to have with this is how do we hook that? In, in another individual? How do we invite them to respond to us from their child ego state? We will get to that. It's going to be a topic we're going to be discussing. There are other child ego states. There is the adapted child ego state, just adapted. It. It's where we adapt our behavior in order to get some typical, typically some sort of reward, typically a psychological reward. Um, for example, why do all teenagers listen to the same music and uh, same influencers and dress the same way. What psychological reward do they get from their friends that makes them feel good? Acceptance. Say that again? Acceptance. Acceptance, 100%. Bingo. Exactly. They get to, to accept it as part of the group. That's a massive, massive uh, stimulus. So that's the adaptive child. We will adapt our behavior in order to fit in but sometimes to get a particular reward, or just sometimes get your own way or be left alone. We, we often, so that's why we you go back to this scenario where your boss calls you, we did it at the beginning and he says, need you to come in for the weekend, needs you to work on this. And you're thinking, you know, for fuck's sake, but you're, you're, you, you adapt your behavior and you go, sure, no problem, I'll do it. So it's a perfectly natural thing to do. Uh, sorry, I don't want to confuse it with natural child. I shouldn't have said natural, but it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's normal part of life. Interestingly though, some people have a much stronger adapted child than others in that they're compliant. And so that introduces to another aspect of this, the adapted child has two substates. There's the compliant and a compliant child. Here's, here's, here's how you know you have a strong compliant child. I want you to imagine that it's three o'clock in the morning and you're driving home. There's not a sinner on the road. And you come to a crossroads in the middle of nowhere and there's traffic lights on the crossroads. Your traffic light is against you, it's red. And you look around, there's nobody around. There's no traffic lights, sorry, there's no traffic cameras to catch you. There's no guards on the road. There's nobody behind you, nobody in front of you. Do you stop? at the red light, or do you just go through it? And if you go through it, how do you feel? What do you think? Who's, just show of hands who'd stop at the red light. Okay, we have two. Okay, that's a strong, compliant child, is that the rules are you stop, so therefore you stop. Somebody else might look at that and go, well, the purpose of the traffic light is to control traffic and avoid crashes. There is no traffic, so therefore it's a redundant notion, and I should ignore it. It's a perfectly rational, logical thought process, but will often be driven by a different aspect of her personality called the uh, rebellious child. Rebellious child. Again, and it's quite interesting. Some people have a strong rebellious child nature, meaning that if you tell them what to do, they'll, they'll, they'll go against it, no question you might have noticed that's something that's quite strong on me. And I'd so therefore I recognize it in others. I'll give you a for instance. Um, 2007, we were getting an extension built onto our house. Uh, it was a three month process and we knew in advance we couldn't live in the house because the whole back of the house was gonna be open. So we found a house in the neighborhood that we lived in for those three months. And this was starting, sorry, act, uh, we started the build in October. And I had said to the builders, I want to be back in my house by Christmas. Uh, the, 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 there was one builder on site. He was the main guy, if you like. He was always there. And then people would come in and out. The plaster would come in. The electrician would come in and leave and so on. Uh, but the, and the other person who would come in and out a lot was the, the architect. And the architect would come in and uh, inspect what was going on. And he just had a very abrupt manner about him. And he would come in. His name was Seamus. And Seamus would see something and he'd say to the guy who was there. Let's call him Brian. I can't remember his. Keith. Keith was his name. That was it. And he'd say to Keith, Keith, fix that. It's not right. Now, Keith was a strong, rebellious child character. And he, you could see him bristling when he was being told what to do. He hated it. And so that, that, that was something I noticed. But I used to pop into the house three or four times a week just to again, see how everything was going and I would always say to Keith, Keith, are we on track to be in by Christmas? And he'd always laugh at me and say, Paul, he says, not a chance. He says, best is, would we'll be the third week in January. I said, Keith, need to be back in by Christmas. And it was the same, it was just, you know, every time. And it was almost you now a joke at this stage and it just was not working. So come probably early, mid November, I'm over. And I say, Keith, are we gonna be back in for Christmas? And he said, Paul, he says, I've told you, I'm gonna tell you again. It's going to be middle of January before you're back in here Uh, there's too many things you know the house the the walls need to dry it's November blah 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 and I thought okay you know my my strategy wasn't working so I said to Keith I said uh, you know what I said you're probably right I was talking to Seamus the other day and Seamus said there's no way you'd be able to do it anyway well (laughs) you should have seen he said what I said no 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 I said it's okay I said I understand I said Seamus doesn't think he can do it. That's good enough for me. <laughs> I swear to God, the guy, anytime I'd come over, he'd have three or four heaters, you know, those blast heaters, that kicks out air on the wall to try and draw them out. And we were in that house two days before Christmas Eve. Um, and that just, just to show you the reason why I highlight that is that these are all ego states. We all have, there's no question about it, but they're, can be very, very developed. So we know people who are fun loving and always are in, in, you know, that's their go-to strategy from a child ego point of view is to have some fun and joke around others. Uh, it's, it's more, you know, let's stick to the rules and then there's the child, the rebellious child is, uh, the, the rebel. And then the last one we're going to talk about is this one is the adult ego state. The adult ego state is different to the to the child ego state, and that the adult ego state is a rational logical data. So the, the adult ego state is is all about making sense of the world. And so I'll give I'll give you a for instance that will kind of bring all these three together and help you make sense of the different ego states. And then what we'll do is we're gonna look at transactions between the different types and how you can use your understanding of these to invite people. I say invite because you can't force. True story, About, I'm going back now to the mid 90s and I was in Dublin airport. The duty free back then was very different and they had terminal A and terminal B and w- one of the duty free areas, I think it was terminal B at the time. Uh, it was like a kind of a semi-circular design. You'd walk in one side and you'd go all the way around and out the other. Anyhow. I'm there and they had these cameras. And those of you who know me know I have a camera fetish. I pick up this camera and it was a Fujifilm FinePix. State of the art, two megapixels, right? State of the art. And it was 600 quid. And so I picked this thing up and I'm looking at it and I'm I'm, I'm drooling. I'm kind of going, Oh, look at this. This is just cool. This is just incredible. And I'm I kind of go. Oh, I want this. Right. So what ego state am I transacting from when I'm looking at this camera in the store? Child. But you're absolutely, you got a ch- child ego state. I want it. I pick it up and I go back and I stand in the queue and There's probably about six or seven people in front of me and it's really moving slowly. And as I'm walking along in the queue with this thing, 600 quid and kind of going, oh, I'm in so much trouble when I go home. (laughs) When my wife finds out I spent 600 quid. This is the mid nineties, right? She spent 600 quid. She's gonna go aim shit on me, right? (laughs) And I am kind of going, oh, really? Do I need it? I mean, I have a camera. This is the camera I had. I have a camera. Do I need this? Do I even need it? I'm not joking you, this went on in my head for a couple of minutes and I went around and I put the camera back, <laughs> which would be fine except this was a, as I said, it was a circular design so my flight is late or whatever and I'm just walking around with nothing else to do and I come back and I pass by the camera shelf again and it was there on the shelf calling my name, Paul, oh, Paul and I pick it up and I'm looking at it and I'm going to, in my head you know what? I have a camera, it's an old film camera, right? And I think in my head, well, a film is about 10, would have been 10 pounds at the time. But it was 10 or thereabouts, whatever, euros pounds, doesn't matter. It was a, a film is a tenner. I use maybe 20 films a year. So that's 200 quid. So in three years time, I'd have made my money back. What am I doing inside my head? rationalizing it exactly i'm rationalizing it and this went on as well like i i i I, I, by the way i I went back in in the in the queue and again this is what was happening i was kind of thinking love the camera and then it was like you know you're going to be in trouble and then what i started to do was to rationalize by saying well look i could get my money back and i and i'm kind of doing this in my head as an argument to myself but also trying to rationalize it how would i explain this and uh I, I couldn't actually in the end because then there's other things, well, there's batteries and cards and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I ended up not buying it. Uh, I've made up for it since, by the way, but that's another story. Um, but here's the thing. The, the child in me wanted it. It was the parent who said, it's like, well, you know, you know when there's critical parent going on, it's like the fingers are wagging. You shouldn't do this. You're going to be in trouble. You know, you know, you're not supposed to do this. And that's what was happening. You know, you're going to be in trouble. You should be saving. You promised your wife that you know we go away on this holiday this summer, and you can't do both. And it's like, and then it's the rationalisation. That's the adult ego state. The adult ego state it almost acts like a referee between the desires of the child and the demands of the parent. And it's quite interesting then as well because I've I've in that example I've positioned the uh the uh, the parent as the critical parent, but it can be quite a powerful one as well in um, that the nurturing parent can play a role in those internal conversations as well. You know the uh, tagline that's used by L'Oreal? Because you're worth it. That's it, because you're worth it. That's a nerd. It's like, go on, you deserve it. You've worked hard. You often hear that in advertisements, treat yourself. And what they're trying to do is that, you know, the child wants it and they're there as the parent giving you permission to go on ahead and do it. Because if you have permission, you don't need to justify it to yourself. You got the parent's permission. It's quite interesting. There was a few years ago, it's now uh, maybe 10 years ago, there was a uh, brochure for the BMW 5 Series. And I used to have a pic, I don't, I'm not going to go waste time looking for it now. I I used to have it, but it was a, uh, it was on the um, center, centerfold. And it was a five series blue pointing this way, the exact same. It was a mirror image pointing this way. And the tagline on it was up at the top, it says, your heart is already decided. Your head is still checking it out. I, love, I just, just captured perfectly the psychology of what's happening when we're in that buying process. And that's why we have that expression that says we buy emotionally, but we then rationalize intellectually. That's exactly what it is. It's the child wants something. That's what's buying it. It's either to achieve some joy gain or to avoid some sort of pain. That's the child motive. And then... It's, we still have to rationalize. We have, We still have, it still has to make sense. We still have to be able to justify it. There's three different types that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a parallel transaction. And a parallel transaction is just, it's, it's where the stimulus and response are in line with the expectations. For example, if I said to you, um, hey Richard, uh, what time is it now? That's, that's, a, that's an adult Stimulus, I'm just asking for a piece of information. There's no emotion in it. And Richard might ask, what time is it? He says, 20 past four. Okay, that's an adult adult transaction. And therefore it's called a parallel transaction. Thing about parallel transaction is that that conversation between two people where the transactions are parallel can go on and on and on with zero interruption to it. You can even have two people up here, let's say we'll take it as a parent-parent, uh, and uh, you ever see two people and they spend their whole time in conversation giving out about something? Yeah. Did you see that? Oh, it was disgraceful. I can't believe he went and did that. That's just a bitching session. That's just a critical parent, critical parent. And, and that can go on. There's no, that conversation can go on without interference yes. for absolutely. It can be child, child. So you can have people going, Hey, listen, hey, uh, do you know what? All are in finals this weekend. I cannot wait. Right. That's child ego state. And you're going, yeah, it's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to seeing Kilkenny Hammer Waterford as you would. <laughs> and, uh, but that's, again, just a parallel transaction. So people can, can bring out their inner child and have some fun and enjoy themselves. Now, there is another one as well, which is also a parallel transaction. And it looks something like this. Or I'll do with this one, first of all. So for example, uh, let's say we were in a class back in college. And it's a couple of months out from final year exams. And there's a subject that I'm going to put myself in the situation I'm struggling with, let's say maths, not good at maths. And Paul, you're really good at maths, right? And we're buddies. And I turn to you and I say, Paul, listen, man, I- I'm really struggling with this maths. It's like, it's like gobbledygook for me. And, and, and I know you're good at this. W- w- would you mind giving me some help with, 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 with the maths? What would you say to me, Paul? Yeah, sounds fair, sure. Okay. I really appreciate it. Now, if you look at what's going on there, that's actually a parallel transaction. I am coming from my child ego state. Listen, I'm struggling. I need some help. I'm I'm in a not okay position. And what that does, that invites the other person to come back and it hooks typically their nurturing parent, assuming that they have one, right? (laughs) They're not a psychopath is what I mean. But what it does, it's very hard to, tie, to to turn that down. Now, back to your question, Manuel, about prospecting. Hey, Manuel, it's Paul. Um, we've not spoken before. Listen, I, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable calling you up out of the blue like this. Could I take 30 seconds to tell you why I called? That's me going into my child ego state to try and hook your nurturing parent to give me permission. Mm-hmm. Or it might be, uh, Manuel, I, I was hoping you might be able to help me. That same thing, right? So I'm, I'm putting myself into that child ego state, help me. And it invites the other person to respond from their nurturing parent. In a moment, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at what it's like when it goes wrong. But for the moment, I think we understand that. Now, by the way, the, the other one is, for example, uh, you might see this in a hostage situation where there's uh, terrorists have people held hostage on a plane and then the special forces come along and they knock on the door and they say, hey, excuse me, chap, would you mind uh, coming? No, they don't, right? They'll, loud noise, smoke bombs, and what they're trying to do, and they'll shout. You ever notice that as well? If you're, you know when you've been pulled over by a cop and they're, <laughs> or better still, better still, when, you're, uh, when you've been arrested, right? And you've been interviewed, allegedly. And what will happen is you'll always have two of them. Um, One will be going, we have you. We have you on camera. Your friend's in next door, and he's singing like a cornery. You are going down for seven years. What are you going to tell your family? Hey, hey. Right. And they're in your face. And it's like, I, I'm not playing it right, because they're, they're angry, and they're, they're, they're mad. And, they're... and then the other one pushes him out of the way, and he goes, Tom, listen, I'm sorry about Tom. He just gets, he hasn't had his coffee today. He just gets like this. Look, I understand why you did it. I, I'd have done the same thing if I was in your shoes. Look, why don't you make it easier for everybody? And if you cooperate with us, we'll cooperate with you. What do you you see going on with the two, two different approaches? They're both parental, right? First one is? Critical. Critical parent. Second one is? Nurturing. Exactly, it's like they're putting—he's putting his arms around you, going, "Look, I'll look after you if you cooperate and tell us what really happened. I'll look after you. You don't have to worry." And at this stage, what they've done is by, by, by—it it actually causes a confusion in the brain. You kind of go, "Oh, mommy, okay, right?" It's the same with the, in a much more extreme sense, with the hostages where they're going in, "Get down, get down, get down." It's designed to get our compliant child to come out. So it's that critical parent will often hook the compliant child. It, by the way, can also hook, and again, context is everything, rebellious child. So for, here's an example, extreme example, one that you'd never use, but it illustrates it. Uh, you, you call up a prospect, and they leave you hanging on the line for a minute, and you say, what, what the hell are you at leaving me hanging on here? I'm a busy person. I, I, I have better things to be doing than waiting for you to pick up the phone. Listen, next time, chop chop. Chop. <laughs> Let's try Could you imagine it? Right. But, but it's, it's obviously extreme to illustrate it, but that's a, that's a critical parent. That's going to, that's not going to hook a compliant child in the prospect. Even if the prospect is a compliant type of person, the context of that situation is going to go, hell are you to talk to me like that? Right? So they're, they're both, by the way, parallel transactions, because when you invite the prospect from your child ego state, it, you expect to hook the nurturing parent back in return. Likewise, when you're parental with somebody, it will typically hook the child. And what we're trying to do with this, and there is one other ego state, would, uh, sorry, there's two others I'll get to in a moment. Sorry, not ego states, but transaction types. But when we look at this, is exactly what we're doing in a pain funnel is we're adopting a nurturing parent, tell me more. H- how did that work out? Your whole tonality is nurturing. And the, the, that's designed to get the, the prospect to come if they feel safe. And that's what the upfront contracts for and that's why bonding and pores is there to make them feel safe. That's why showing them the exit sign is so important. It allows them to feel in control and feel safe. So they know they're not going to be uh, painted into a corner. And so it, it invites them to share with you the issues, challenges, frustrations, desires, etc. cetera. And so that's, that's kind of that model, if you like, governing what happens. Now, the adult plays a role in this, which we'll get to in a moment as well. And it is really, really important. We're going to look at where the upfront contract comes in and where also that testing of commitment at the end, which is a very adult, adult uh, transaction and why that's important, because remember, People may buy into it emotionally, but they have to still be able to justify it, rationalize it, and make a decision. And people make decisions logically, right? That's not to say there isn't a huge emotional component. I'll make a decision over what I want to eat tonight based on what I fancy. So there's an emotional, but then I have to go, well, does it make sense? Do I want this or do I want that? I have to make a decision. All right. Well, Paul, yep. is, the, is the upfront con- contract adult to adult? or is Yes, that- yes. And it, by the way, it took me years to spot that. It was well done, Paul. Absolutely. It's an adult, adult. Because if we're starting a conversation with a prospect, and this is why it's, I think this model is powerful to understand it, is that it's inappropriate to start as a... So if I look at this and I say, okay, this is sales over here and this is the prospect. And as sales, I can't open it from a parental point of view with an outbound So I can't approach a a potential prospect and say, okay, why don't you tell me how I can help you? Or, you know, would you like to share with me what you're hoping we could do for you? That just doesn't work. There's there's no context to that. Uh, It's a little bit different with inbound. Inbound is somebody's calling you. There's a reason there's something behind it. So they're already... Even though the, how they what they express won't won't sound like it's a child ego state, you know behind it there's something driving the action. So therefore, you it's a lot easier early on in a conversation with an inbound to say, "What can we do for you? How can we help you?" Right. So context is, is changes. That's okay. So that's one. So this parent to child transaction just not appropriate to that early client interaction. Likewise, the child parent, and by the way, this is where uh, a lot of approaches fall off the wagon because sellers can often approach a prospect from their child. In other words, they're fearful. They're worried that the prospect is going to hang up on them or snap at them or reject them. And there's a fear rejection. And if that's present, then very, what happens is we're coming to that conversation from our child ego state. But all that does, it invites the prospect to respond from their parent, their critical parent. And it'll be like, listen, I'm busy right now. Where did you get my number from? Where did you get my email from? Anybody ever got those? Right. So, so it's inappropriate. It's also inappropriate to come child, child. Uh, it's a little easier, by the way, if you leverage an existing relationship and you've got a, a referral, you can get up that, you know, w- w- you have to have permission to engage with somebody at a child child level where you know them, they know you, and they're comfortable with it. Without that, that context, child child just feels creepy. So you have to earn that. As we all know, I mean, I'm not t- teaching anything new here. So if, if all of this is true, and, of course, you can't come to a prospect, uh, from a critical parent to critical parent either that that's that's from a context point of view just doesn't make sense see that problem you have yeah go on tell me more about it. <laughs> so we have to we have to come adult to adult and this is what we do is we start out here adult to adult such as time that's just an adult to adult exchange how much time have we got for a call today, what would you like to cover. You're just gathering information. Here's what I'd like to cover. Is that okay with you? Yeah. And then at the end, we can make a decision. Either this or this. Does that make sense? And that's why that checking, does that make sense? The validation, why the validation is so important in the upfront contract? Because it allows the other to consent from their adult. Only only with consent do you have a transaction. I see that, by the way, I see it in Sandra all the time at internal conferences, people will get up to speak and they'll go, okay, my upfront contract for my talk today is, and I'm thinking, that's not an upfront contract, buddy. You've been in this business 10 years and you still don't know what it is. That's an agenda. My agenda, my topics for today is, but a contract has to be validated. It has to be a stimulus and a response for it to be a valid uh, transaction. And so that's what it is. Now to, 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 to what you said, Paul, as that uh, your genius spot this. Is the adult adult is the the upfront contract, and then as we transition from the upfront contract, the transition is typically: Hey Paul, um, you wanted to talk about problem A, problem B, problem C. Which one would you like to start with? Uh, I'll start with B. Just curious, why you picked that one? Because. And now you're you're now you're flipping it over. So you started out adult adult, and now you're going parent you're saying, okay, tell me a little bit more about that. And now you're inviting them to respond from their child ego state. So you, 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 you flip it. And then at the end of the conversation, you have another upfront contract, which brings it back to adult-adult because we're making a decision to have another call and who we're going to bring in on that. And that's that, that decision allows you to lock away the, the, that part of the call. And that's why, by the way, we get buyer's remorse. Is that we're emotionally invested in something, then we leave, and then the parent goes, "You're really going to spend your money on that, right?" Before you've had a chance to make that decision. So it's 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 fascinating. I know I'm giving you the 90 mile an hour version of this, but. It's that's it's it's important now. We're hopefully seeing where the upfront contract fits into this and why it's so important to have one at the beginning and have one at the end for the next stage. It brings it back to that adult adult transaction. Sandra rule 70% of your selling dumps from your nurturing parent, 30% from your adult. The nurturing parent obviously is is is, is, is how you transverse the uh, the pain funnel. So there we have the uh, the the parallel transaction. And that's the one that you're going to see the most. Um, but it's not the only one. I want to talk a little bit very, very simply about the cross transaction. The cross transaction is where we come from one ego state expecting, inviting a particular response. For example, if I said again, I'll use the example I had earlier, uh, do you have the time? And you responded back, do you not have a watch? <laughs> right? what, so do you have the time is an adult transaction or is an adult stimulus. But the response comes back from, do you not have a bloody watch? Where is that coming from? Critical parent. Critical parent, you see? And that goes back and that, that hits the child and particularly the rebellious child. and you know, I was only bloody asking for the time. mate. There's no need to take that tone with me. And that, this is when all conversations break down is when we get these cross transactions. And there's loads of different examples. In fact, so if you go back to the four scenarios I gave you at the beginning, and I said, why don't we take the little teddy bear? That was me from my child ego state, inviting you to come back from your child ego state and go brilliant idea. Let's have some fun. But some of you came back and go, why don't you just grow up? <laughs> and, and by the way, it, that's not the only one. Sometimes you get people and they'll come back and I think there was one or two like this that said, you know, great idea, but probably not a good idea because they might get hurt. And that's the nurturing parent. Um, but there's still an element of my child going, ah, you are no fun, right? So that's, the, uh, th- that, that, that's an example of a cross transaction. The last one is an ulterior transaction. An ulterior transaction Sounds like one type of transaction, but it's actually something else. And I'll give you an example. So you're in a night. If I said to you, would you like a cup of coffee? That's just a, an, it's an adult, adult. It, well, it depends on context. If I said, "You said, know, do you fancy a cup of coffee? If I'm your host and you're a guest, it might be my nurturing parent wanting to look after you and make you feel comfortable. And you might go, I'd love a cup of coffee, right? So context depends. But if I just asked it as a piece of information, as in, you know, is it time to go for coffee now? It's an adult adult transaction. But change the context. And if, uh, you imagine you're in a nightclub. Oh, God, you know, it used to be so easy to do this and imagine you could be in a nightclub. Those days are gone. <laughs> so you have to think back a while. You Imagine you're in a nightclub and you meet somebody and you're getting on greys and night's going grey. You've kind of, they're giving you the eye and you're giving it back. I don't know why I'm doing that. Like, I, I know nothing about this game. <laughs> long, long past that time, man, long past. Um, it, which has its advantages, believe me. Um, but uh, you're now walking them home to their apartment. And outside their apartment, they say to you, would you like a cup of coffee? And you go, actually, I know I don't like coffee. I only drink tea. (laughs) You don't, right? Um, But, you know, in that context, would you like a cup of coffee is not an adult adult transaction. It's does little Jimmy want to come out and play? It's a different thing entirely. And so that's what we call an ulterior transaction. As I said, it sounds like one thing, but is actually a different type of transaction. Slagging, by the way, that, that thing that we, 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 we tend to love in Ireland, which is really, really uh, insidious, I think, where we, we slag each other off. By the way, there's friendly slagging I have no problem with. But slagging where it's used to demean and undermine people, it's disgusting. And you see this all the time where somebody will say something to somebody to hurt them. And then when they get upset, they're in the child, they go, Ah, sure, I was only joking. Can you not take a little joke? That's a classical ulterior transaction. So it's, it's positioned as one thing, but it's actually something else. It's, it's mean. It's, but I, sorry. I'm on my soapbox now. Here's an example. Has anybody ever seen the film The Breakup? Uh, my wife and her sister decide they're going to go watch this. And my wife says to me, well, you know, do you mind babysitting for the night? And I said, sure, no problem. That might've been the night Ring fell off the couch, I don't know, right? But, uh, no problem, you know, I, I, now I have the remote control for the night. But uh, they go, that's fine. And uh, a couple of hours later, I hear this noise in the kitchen and they're back and they're, I go in, that's my first mistake is to show interest. And I go in, I said, so how, how was the film? Oh. It, all it did was highlight what idiots men are. That's what my wife said. And of course now my second mistake was not to turn around and leave at that point, <laughs> but I was curious. I was bored I was on my own for two hours. It said, what, what, what do you mean, honey? She said, well, she says, listen to this. And she describes a scene from the movie where they're in a bedroom and Jennifer Aniston sitting on the side of the bed and she's crying. She's upset. And Vince Vaughn is standing at the end of the bed. And she kind of says to him, they're going through a breakup. And she says, get out. I never want to see you again, or words to that effect. She says to me, you'll never guess what he did. And I said, I'm guessing he left. She says, you just don't get it, do you? I said, what do you mean? She said, she didn't want him to leave. (laughs) But she just told him to to leave, but that's not what she meant. I said, okay, what did she mean? Well, she wanted him to put his arms around her and tell her everything was gonna be okay. Oh my God. i better remember thinking afterwards this is exactly what it is it's, it's perfect and and actually the joke is on us men and that if we knew what was really going on we'd actually behave differently in, in a scenario like that in other words what I mean by that is that get out I never want to see you again it sounds very critical parent fair enough right and it's when somebody's upset so that will typically hook our child might be compliant child as in okay well look I'm sorry you feel that way but you comply, or it could be rebellious. Kind of go well. Fine if that's the way you feel. Boom, gone. But if we think about it, what what's this is an ulterior transaction. So the words sound critical, parent. But what's the emotion? Where is that coming from? What ego state is the is the underlying emotion coming from? It's child scared. Child of. exactly. Yeah, it's scared child. Now if we recognize the underlying emotion, not forget the words, but the underlying emotion. What ego state should we respond from? (laughs) Nurturing parent, exactly. Uh, I think with prospects, when we're looking at analyzing what's going on real time, understanding the emotion, not necessarily, they won't necessarily discuss it and say, oh, I need this because if I don't get it, I'm gonna lose my job. Our job is not to get them to admit that. Our job is to uncover in the pain step and so that it's there, and that we know it's there. We don't have to stick our fingers in it and go, well, when you lose your job and you're out on the street, what happens to you then, right? That's that's too far in the pain step, way too far. Oh, yeah, sorry, there was one other thing I wanted to say about it in this context as well, which is in a often what you get in a negotiation context is that in sales process, we do this well, adult adult upfront contract. We now move into nurturing parent, which invites them to come back from uh, child. We say invites because you'll often have that with a prospect where they're reluctant and they'll, they'll stay in adult mode and they'll, they'll just give you data and facts. And there are techniques, remember we talked about taking them down somebody else's pain funnel as a technique, tell them a story and then ask them how is that similar to and try to use that to get them comfortable and to open up, right? And, and, and you, you know then when to use tech, the, that technique because you have an understanding of what's happening from a transactional level. Anyway, past that is you're now dealing with procurement who are masters at getting you into a child ego state by threatening gently that the deal is gonna go away, you're too expensive, uh, you're just a commodity, we can get this anywhere else. And they have all those techniques, the flinch, the hot potato, the higher authority, good cop, bad cop, they play that one too. And the whole idea is to get you into a child ego state where out of fear, you will give up concessions and you will comply with their process. And knowing what's going on from a psychological level helps us recognize it and then bring it back to where we want it to be, which is typically when you're negotiating with procurement, it tends to stay adult adult. Uh, because if you try nurturing parent with a the, the procurement, they'll say, look, we don't really care who we buy from, it doesn't matter to us. They don't have the pain that your real buyer has. Um, so it's interesting to, to notice that.